If you have your uh, Bibles with you, I'm going to read out of chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 14, uh, to the end, uh, not quite to the end, but pretty far to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord as I read. Verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, uh, uh, knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that the from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Verse 22, this is my reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been uh, pleased uh, to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also uh, be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. May God help us to understand This is most precious word. A few weeks ago, when we began to make the turn about chapter uh, 12, verse 1, where it says, uh, therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God. We recognize that's a, a turn, but also he had just finished 11 chapters explaining uh, what God is doing in the world. And sometimes you can pick up the paper or you can watch the news or you can begin to think in your mind, what is it that God is doing? What has God really been doing since Genesis 3, since the fall, since sin entered the world, that evil became part of this world and it has in many ways ruined the beauty of creation and marred the image of God in us? What has God been doing? And we said at the very end of chapter 11, really 9 through 11 has been to answer that question. And he summarizes it by saying, unless you be wise in your own sight, he's talking uh, uh, to the, uh, the Christians in Rome, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. 
You see, what, what, what Paul is revealing is, is that God has been redeeming his people, beginning uh, with Abraham and as Abraham's the father of Israel to Israel. And then because of that, it has now come to the nations. The way Paul refers to it in another letter in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 13, he says, I, I, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what God is doing in the world. But that's not new because way back in Genesis 3.15, he said, I will put enmity, he's talking uh, 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 to Satan. He says, I'll put an enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's talking about the coming Messiah who's going to take everything that is broken and make it right again. That the Christ will one day come. This is right at the beginning of his human history. He promises to do that. And then when he calls Abram out of the land of Ur and gives him the name Abraham, he says this to him, and I will make you Abraham, a great nation. I will bless you, Abraham, and make your name great so that you, Abraham, will be a blessing. And in you, all the families, that word families doesn't mean uh, the, the way we think of a family union. It means everybody that is of a people group. So through you and your descendants, all of the families, all of the people groups in the world will be blessed. You see, from the very beginning, God's plan was to save his people. This world has been a broken and the people in it. And so he's coming to send a savior to initiate the beginning of the healing that will be consummated upon his second return. I mean, his first return here to earth. God's on a mission. His mission is to save people. You wonder what God is doing in the world. He's glorifying himself by saving his people because it's the fulfillment of his promise. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he shall repent. Has he not said, and will he not do it? The way he phrases it in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but what? Save it. In order that it might be saved through Christ. This text before us is some of the most uh, mission-rich verses in the entire Bible. In one Location. In fact, uh, Paul will make uh, four points. He's going to give us the basis uh, for the mission of God. He's going to uh, tell us uh, what is the means of the mission of God. He's going to give us the goal for the mission of God. And he's going to give us ultimately the requirement of the mission of God. And I added a fifth because one of the reading of this passage, if you're not careful, you could walk away and say, well, all of this is for the professional. All of this is for the missionary. All of this is for the pastors. They're the ones who have been trained to do this. And this is our job is to sit in the congregation and support them to do that work. That's one of the implications you could take from this passage, but you would be very wrong. He never meant that this would be left to the professionals uh, to go. 
but for all of us. And I'll I'll make that point at the end when he talks about the people of the mission. First, very quickly, the basis of the mission is the gospel itself. The way that, that Paul talks about it way back in the beginning of our text, he says, but some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God as a minister of Christ Jesus to what? To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not new. Paul said it at the very beginning of the letter when he sent it. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in this gospel, verse 17, he says, the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith to faith, first to last. Paul is is saying that the mission of God has a basis, a foundation upon which the mission is built and it's the gospel. That is that we could talk about a lot of things. How, how, how the music is good or, or the fellowship is sweet or, or we could talk about the programs and we could even talk about the people in the church that you love dearly. But it's not about any of them. Any of those things, they're great. They're, they're like going to the restaurant to order a dessert. They're the extras that are put on. But nobody goes and gets a sundae for the cherry on top. You can go to the grocery store and get the cherry. You go for what? The meat. What's the meat of the mission of God? It's the gospel of God. We're just the fruit of the basis of the the mission. We come into being that the people you love in the church, you love to sit with and you love to go out to lunch with afterwards and you love to fellowship with and you love to be in renewed groups with, they're the fruit. They're not the basis. And you see, when Buddha, it's reported that when he uh, lay dying, uh, these are Buddha's last words. Strive without ceasing. Do you know what Jesus' last words It is finished. The gospel is that it has been done for you. There's nothing left for you to do but to receive by faith. That's the message of the gospel. The way that Tim Keller puts it, he says, our ultimate hope is not in improving our imperfections, but rather in the one who is already perfect for us. Faith in Jesus' substitution, not in our transformation, is the liberating heartbeat of Christianity. And can you imagine in a a community like ours that is built so heavily upon uh, achievement and power and accrual uh, of wealth and position, how to walk in and say, yeah, So many philosophers, so many religious leaders say, strive without ceasing. But it was Jesus who said, it is finished. How much rest we offer and peace, real shalom we offer the people in our community. Romans, we forget sometimes, is a missionary's letter. It's a missionary's letter because Paul is a missionary. And he hopes for a partnership in this gospel of, uh, this mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wants to go to Spain. We know that because he says it right up front. 
In verse 23 and 24, he says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you when? While I'm on my way to Spain and to help me on my journey. I don't want you just to wave at me and say, be warm and be filled and I'll pray for you. I want you to help me get there. I want you to, yes, pray for me. Yes, I want you uh, involved, but I need partners in the gospel. Yes, we, we know that the gospel is our message. We also know that the gospel is the motivation to preach that message. Henry Martin was a missionary to India. He had come uh, to Christ under Charles Simeon's ministry back in the early part of the 19th century. And he too uh, went to India to be a missionary. He died at the age of 31. But before he died, he said this, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. You hear what he's saying? He's saying that if I want you to grow into being missionary partners, to being missionaries right here where we are or in faraway lands that God may call you to. My job isn't to guilt you there. My job isn't uh, to push you or compel you there. It's just simply keep introducing you to Jesus. But the closer we got to Christ, the closer our, and deeper our relationship with Christ, the more missionary we become. We become excited The inverse is also true. Wherever the mission is anemic, it is because the gospel proclaimed is also anemic. You may not uh, quite know how many uh, partnerships we have in our church. A few years ago, we recognized that God was moving in our community in some significant ways, and we began to join those. The, one of the very first ones was with Downtown Hope, as it helps us reach into uh, uh, some of the communities that are inside the city. And another one, about five years ago, we recognized that Anne Arundel a Community College, where so many of our students were going right after high school, had no ministry ministering to those kids. And so we began looking for a a ministry that would be willing to go on to a community college. Even though our community college is uh, so large, there are very few student ministries for community college students. And we didn't want them to be lost in the two years in between high school and when they go to a university that might have some kind. And so we we contacted uh, the Coalition for for Christian Outreach, which is often referred to as CCO. And and, uh, uh, our first uh, staff person was, was Isaac Vineyard, and now we have uh, Frankie Franks, and we also have uh, uh, Stephen Manyara, and, and, and that ministry has really blossomed. If you ever uh, want to visit and see just a little bit of that fruit, you don't even have to go to the campus. You can come here on Wednesday nights and go into the chapel, and you can see loads of these students, many of them uh, brand new believers, because we saw a partnership that could reach a, a place that did not hear about Jesus. Uh, uh, Josh Martinelli in our church, who for the longest time has had a tavern ministry to athletes at the Naval Academy among the midshipmen. 
great partnership. So many of our folks are involved with Josh Martinelli. There's many others to the Naval Academy. There's the Officer Christian Fellowship. There's the Navigators. There's Campus Crusade. All of great partners with us in serving the MIDS. High school ministry, we recognized that uh, we were very good at taking care of our own, but not so good about reaching out into the community of so many uh, students in high school ministry who did not know Jesus and were not coming into contact. And so we partnered with Young Life, and and now uh, we have a presence at uh, Broadneck, Annapolis High School, South River, and Severna Park, where these ministries were literally dozens of kids are hearing the gospel, and because of the work of the Holy Spirit, are believing. That's Jason and Megan Erickson and John Cavallaro. Even apart from that, Marianne and Jeff Stevenson have started a ministry uh, at the middle school in which their daughter attends. Sometimes it's not official, it's just people feeling the, 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 the compelling love of Christ to go where they already are. I talked to you last week about our partnership in Indonesia and in literally dozens and dozens of churches that are now planted because we've partnered with Mike and Maria Densmore. We have a partnership in Scotland. It's the whole reason we were able to help Greg Doty, Pastor Greg, to, to go to Scotland and join that partnership. These are all things that EP is doing through a partnership that Paul's talking about here. We do it because we're compelled. Christ's love, according to 2 Corinthians 5, compels us. Those who have received grace, give grace. The means of the mission of the church is the next point that Paul makes. God has an incredibly high view of the church, and that's the means that he has chosen. Yes, it is God's mission. Let's don't forget that. It's not our mission. We don't shape our mission. God has a mission and he invites us to join him into the mission. But his means is there. Look how many times. Five different churches are mentioned in these uh, 16 verses. You have the church in Rome, the one he's writing to. You have Jerusalem, Lyricarium, Macedonia, Kia. But there are literally the New Testament primarily are letters to whom? Churches. Parachurches and partnerships are important and strategic, but God's means to affect his mission on earth is the local church. It has always been and will be until Christ returns. Why? Because we're the bride of Christ. We're not just saved out of the world. We're saved into the church. How does mission work? The gospel is proclaimed. And when the gospel is proclaimed, the spirit of God gives faith that people might receive and believe and repent. Yes, we pray over, we carry, and we proclaim it. But it is the work of God through the spirit that changes people. This is, this is Paul's communication back in chapter 10 about what we're talking about, the means. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. That's uh, chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. God didn't have to do it this way. He really didn't. He could have wrote it on the side of the mountains. He could have written it, it already upon our hearts. But instead, he says, here's my mission. Join me. Partner with me in the gospel. To what end? If the church is the means by which God proclaims his gospel, but to what end? Where's it going? Where's it all going? What's the goal? The ultimate goal, John Piper says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. By nature, we are worship beings. We worship something. We have no choice. Even if we're not religious, we end up worshiping something. All that something, if it's not God, is what? A creature. Paul writes, I am a minister of Christ. This is verse 16. Jesus, uh, to the Gentiles, priestly service of the gospel of God. So that, there's your goal, that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable sacrifice by the Holy Spirit. You see, that's the language of worship, offerings. Paul is saying that the goal of the mission is, the, is for Gentiles to worship God, at least his part of the mission. Paul says in verse 9 that he is always, it's always been God's plan that in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. That's why he goes on in verse 10 and says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all the Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. What's he saying? He, he, he's saying that our, that our mission has an end. It has, it has a goal. And that is more people worship. It doesn't matter where they worship here. But they, that they worship him in a church that they continue to hear the gospel and grow in grace. That's a, a kingdom worldview. Yes, we want EP to grow, but let's admit that up front. But ultimately, all of these people who hear the gospel and their hearts are renewed, they come to faith. Do we really care whether it's here? As long as they worship somewhere where the gospel is being preached, where it's faithfully the word is being, because we know that's how they continue to grow. That's a kingdom perspective. Sometimes, uh, sometimes a staff person will, will grow up here and we hate to lose our staff, but if their staff is going somewhere else where, where they can strengthen, if, if we have an elder or a deacon or a key leader in our church who gets transferred, we love that because it's an opportunity for them to go what? Go somewhere and take what they've learned here and impart it there. That's a kingdom mindset. And some will say, that's great. You described my experience. What happens in here, uh, th that is worship. What happens out there is mission, and the two shouldn't come together. But they do. It's not binary. What happens here is worship, but it's also mission. And what happens out there isn't just mission. It's also our worship. That's why Paul says... In verse back in chapter 12, and he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. He's not talking about just when you gather for worship services. And on the other end, we don't want to design our worship services to be seeker-driven. That, that would be making the wrong assumption. 
And that is, is that non-Christians are coming here by the whores. They're waking up on Sunday mornings and thinking, you know, I ought to go to church today. That just is not happening any more than you're waking up on Friday night and saying, I need to go to the mosque. But every now and then, as part of reaching people, they do come in here. And this needs to be intelligible. This needs to be understandable to people. And we try uh, to do that. We want them to come in and try on Christianity, find space where people will love them while they process these incredible claims of what Christ has done for us. The requirement of the mission, Paul says in this very long passage, where he says in verse 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Later on, he will say, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered, what? From coming to you. He's using all of this language of coming or going. Why? Because at the core of the mission is not a come and see, but a go and tell. It is a going ministry. And where did Paul get that from? Paul got it from Jesus himself. Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go ye therefore. That's old English. Go you. Because I have all authority and power, go and make disciples of all peoples. Baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach him all that I have commanded you, for lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's why Paul says the requirement of the mission of God is that the people of God go to the people who are not yet the people of God in order that they might become the people of God. Where do we go? Sometimes we think of geographical borders when we hear nations. He doesn't mean it that way. Within many nations, I was in Indonesia and it has 200 people groups within that. They have their own languages and their own cultures. He includes them. Church planting is another thing that has been rich within the heritage of EP. Why? Because we know that when we plant churches, people come to Christ and grow in grace. And, and we have more people involved in the mission of God. But it also means a personal ministry. A place where you yourself are involved in the mission of God, wherever God might take you. The places you work, the neighborhoods you live in, the things that you're involved in and, 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 and representing Christ. The last one, and this is the implication as I was talking about. In verse 24, I hope to see you passing as I go to Spain and to be helped by the journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. One person can read that passage in that long passage. Well, Paul's the missionary and the people in, in Rome at the church, well, they're just the sending agency and that's all they do. They just come together, collect some money and say, be warm and be filled. Let us know how it goes. And though there are missionaries and, and there are pastors and they do have unique responsibilities within the mission of God in the church of God, yes, let's admit that up front. Let's don't belittle the call in order to make much of your call. 
But when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, you could say, well, he's just talking to his disciples. Well, the problem is when he says, teach them all that I have commanded you, what's one of the things he commanded? Go and make disciples of all nations. So even if you can argue that the apostles is who he's talking about, he's saying one of the things you apostles are supposed to teach everybody is to obey my command to go and make disciples of all nations. Yes, we're all ministers inside the church. Matter of fact, at one time, our, our, our church used to have a banner that we are the ministers, and we are. We, we care for one another. We bear each other's burdens. We, we pray for each other. We come alongside each other when we have a crisis. But also, we're all missionaries. When we leave this place, we are the ambassadors of Christ. Isn't that what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. What? Be reconciled to God. And so the question before us, and if we were in our renewed groups, this would be the question we would be wrestling with is, do our lives align with the mission of God? Or do they only align with our mission? Our individual personal mission? Are we subjugating our mission for his? Does his matter most? What God is doing in the world, does that matter most for me and my family and my friends and the people that I, I labor with in the church? As that is the defining uh, uh, a part of our relationship. Somehow we've gotten this idea that we can separate the church from its mission. I don't think that's theologically defensible. In fact, I, I think it's indefensible. All of us will, will apply this differently upon the situations that God has us. But the bottom line is, how are we arranging our lives, our resources, our gifts, talents, and abilities, and time? And, and it seems that time is the most precious to us of giving up. So that's where we stand today. And yes, we want more and more worshipers. More and more people glorifying our God. The means by which that happens is the mission of God. So let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us into this room to interact with Romans uh, chapter 15. Thank you for Paul's life as an example to us of one who was singularly focused to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who did not, had not heard about him or what he had done. I pray heavenly for us, particularly we want to pray for those uh, members of our church who are, are so deeply rooted in the mission. We pray that you might strengthen them, encourage them, help us partner with them. And for those of us who are beginning to wade into that water, help us to uh, see that the message is all that we're proclaiming rather than ourselves that through the work of the Spirit, you might give faith to receive these things in our community, that rather than, than seeing the majority in our community who do not know you and many who have never even heard of what you have done through Jesus Christ, that that would become the majority in our community and that might change everything about the way in which we live. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.